Hello and welcome to this message from Skip Heitzig of Calvary Albuquerque. We pray that this message impacts you. And if it does, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can give online securely at calvaryabq.org. In this special interview, Skip Heitzig sits down with Free Burma Rangers founder, Dave Eubank. And we learn how his organization continues to help people caught in the crossfire of war and terrorism. Dave Eubank, welcome back. Thank you. It's been a few years. Last time uh, you came, you were and were raised in Burma. You told us a little bit about your journey there. Now you've been to Iraq. Um, you know, we're, we see you as a hero. I know you don't see yourself that way. But we, we, when we think of the great missionary movements of the past, in our minds, I'll speak for myself, I place you in that, in that category of the great missionaries who've led unusual endeavors. Most people think of missionaries as people who go to cultures and start churches, or, and, which is important and good and of God, or Bible translations. But you go, you know, you're a different cat. You're a different character. You're a, you're a soldier for Christ. And you help rescue people who um, would have no other way to be rescued. So um, why do you do that? I mean, what, what, what brought you to this very unique mission, number one? Number two, you bring your family with you to Iraq. I mean, most people in the West, this stuff, war, we see movies of it. That's as close as most of us get. This is real stuff happening, and you brought your family there. So tell us about your calling, and then your calling with your family. Well, my, my parents are missionaries, and still are, and for 56 years now, and based out of Thailand, and working sometimes in Burma, and our main work is Burma. But when I was a small child, when I was five, I thought, I'll be a soldier, one day I'll be a missionary. Then I went to boarding school when I was seven, because we had no schools in the jungle. I needed to know then if Jesus was real or not. I got sick with dengue fever. I was laying there. There's no mom to take care of me. No parents around. I said, Jesus, are you real? And I felt something happen. Hmm. I actually felt the room got light. And I felt something happen. I thought, oh, he's real. And so since then, I've been a follower of Jesus. Along the way, following him, I began to put myself first. You know, before you walk in the temple of, the, of God, I would walk in the temple of the warrior. But I think all of us could have another temple, whatever it's called, that's really before God's. And that's a violation of the first commandment. But I didn't think about it. But of course, I crashed and burned. And at that moment, I thought, well, I'm not qualified to be a missionary anymore. I failed too much. But Isaiah 6, 8 talks about God forgiving and healing Isaiah and saying, who, and then not telling him to go. He just says, who will go for us? And I thought, I'll go. And I'm not qualified, but God just said I am, so that broke all those rules. I can go. And that's how that started. And But you were trained. You, you were in the U.S. military. Yes. You were Green Beret, Special Forces. Mm-hmm. So you were highly trained. And then you left that and went to the mission field? Right. So I, I grew up hunting as a kid and doing all that outdoor stuff. And then... I was in a, I was an infantry scout platoon leader down in Central and South America. Then I was in the Rangers, Second Ranger Battalion. There's somebody here from 275 or next service, I guess. And then 
Then I was in special forces. So all those things you do on purpose. You have to like it. It's like a middle linebacker has got to like hitting people. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So I run away from the middle linebackers. Look at me. But anyways, <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. But I wanted to put everything in God's hands, and he led me out. And one, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but it's just been on my heart. Because you're talking about the old, old missionaries, the ancient followers of Jesus. And I think of people like Livingston. But I was in a prayer conference in South Africa a few years ago. And a pastor said, he was talking about church in conflict. What is the role of church in conflict? And the pastor said, when the rebels come to my village, this was in the Congo, I think. The first people that run are the missionaries. And then the army. And then we're alone. Where are the Livingstons of today? And I thought, that's it. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he didn't say, okay, now be safe. In fact, you can, I don't think you could find be safe in the Bible. I don't think. <laughs> because, you know, when, when we're doing something that requires almost no bravery, that's pretty cut, cut and dried, we should tell each other, be careful. Because we got it figured out. So be careful means make sure you're doing it God's way. But when you're doing something that's really dangerous to your reputation or your physical life or anything... You don't need to be careful. We're all really careful then because we don't even want to do it. That's when we need the church to say, be bold. Go in Jesus' name. Because when things are really dangerous, all of us don't want to do it. So I, I feel God has a role for all of us here. And I love being up, up here with Skip because it's so easy. He makes it very, obviously, this is one of your roles God has you on this earth to do. And But for our role is... Go to wherever people, first, wherever God leads us, because you can't go everywhere, just wherever he leads. Go there, and where people are suffering, often where bullets are flying, where people are being shot, go be with them. Number one, just be with them and proclaim the truth of God. He loved us so much, he sent his son. There's a way. And then physically help them any way you can, medically, carrying them, whatever you can do. And that's what we did in Burma. We're still doing it, 70 teams now in Burma. Hmm. And then three years ago, um, it was y'all that got us going into the Middle East and Victor who said, Dave, you get, you should come here. And so we, it wasn't our idea, but we went and met you on my very first trip there and started working in first Kurdistan and then mm-hmm. Syria and then now Iraq. But every one of those was God through his people saying, come, come help us. Okay. So I get that you're trained to do this, but your beautiful wife, Karen serves with you not only in Burma, but she comes with you to Iraq. She still has that great, gracious smile and your lovely kids. How do you bring your kids to a place like that? Well, we prayed a lot before we ever took them into Burma because we could lose your, we almost lost all our kids in Burma so far. And, but we felt we take them one after we prayed. You know, that's the great thing about God. There's nothing too big, too complicated, too risky to ask him about. And he definitely has an opinion and he'll tell you. And so, <laughs> We both prayed, and we both had the same answer, which is don't be led by fear, comfort, pride, or obstacles. Be led by the opportunities God gives you. And what better opportunity than go where you're called to go with your family? One, you get to be together. Second, it's the best life we can give our kids. Hmm. Learning, like in, in Burma, they don't even have, they don't have no thievery in the mountains. There's no doors and no locks, no windows that close. Everybody shares and shares alike. They don't operate out of fear. I could let my kids, when they're this big, you know, they'd run naked into the streams in the middle of the village. You wouldn't even worry about them. That's an awesome environment. And they, and you go to Iraq, they get a chance to work with Muslims and live with Muslims and realize underneath all that, here are people that yearn to please God. 
yearn to please God and are generous and gracious to them. So they get to ride horses and do crazy things. They all can drive a Humvee now and cool stuff. But my wife, when she first met me, um, first, she didn't never, never wanted to marry a soldier. And I was still a soldier then. And second, missionaries, I think, in her mind, were the people you give money to and pray for, and they kind of go away somewhere. They're a little bit strange. But... I, I can't tell her whole story, but I can say this. Her first year, she kind of wondered, what, she's a special ed teacher. What am I doing out here? And God told her this. You can do one thing for sure. Love everyone you meet. Just start with that. Just love everyone I bring you to contact with. And from that, she started the Good Life Club, helping kids, and which is very similar to Reload Love. And now it's been ramped up a 1,000 miles an hour by Reload Love. And without her, without my wife, I would fail. I know we depend on God, but you know, God evidently knows we're pretty small and he gave us each other. And so we need each other and for me as husband and wife and also as a church. But without Karen, I would do many, many, many more bad things. I know that. And very few good things. So I'm just grateful she's with me. So when your kids are there, do they feel scared? I mean, they don't, uh, I, I look at them in the video. They look like, yeah. This is a normal life at our house. We're here in Iraq. There's a war going on. So I think kids cue off of parents. And we, first thing, we pray about everything. There's no form. Just because we did it yesterday, we doesn't mean we go do this today. Well, God, what do you want us to do with each day? And they're used to that. So, yes, they get scared. If bullets start coming close, they get scared. Sure. If they're far away, and they kind of know, like, um, the differences. And, in fact, Pete said... When he first saw mustard, he goes, whoa, that's what they were shooting at us in Iraq before. He didn't know it was a condiment. First time in America. So they're used to those kind of things. And then when people hear thunder, he'll go, yeah, sounds like an 81 millimeter mortar. Mm. So they're used to those things. And he's 11 years old. (laughs) Right. But, you know, there's kids there. Any conflict zone you can think of in the world, there's women and children there. There's babies being born. So our idea, which God can change any minute, is if there's a family there, our family can be there to help. Hmm. And that is not only physically helpful for the families, but like when I went to Sudan, the leader in the Nuba Mountains, they're, under, they're bombed every day. He said, you brought your wife and children. That means you don't want anything from us. That means you think God made us all the same. That means you think our children are like your children. We're a family. What do you want? We'll give it to you. Wow. And in Kurdistan, the same. You brought your most precious thing, your, your son. I give you my country, my most precious thing. And we're knit together like that. My goodness. So, Dave, um, the video that we just saw, this little six-minute clip, um, a lot of us have seen this before. I, I saw this probably three times, I'm thinking, on different network um, outlets. And so this story has gotten some traction. Um, on that day, in that video, when you rushed in to help that little girl, tell us about what that, what that was like, what that felt like. Well, before, this, that was our seventh or eighth month in Mosul. And ISIS had been killing families and kids all along. But starting in May th- this year, we saw them sh- just purposely shooting at villagers more and more and more and more. And they sent out a proclamation. The highest act of love for an ISIS fighter is to kill women and children and your own family rather than let them fall in the hands of the Iraqi army. That's hard to imagine. Yeah. You were up close with some of these ISIS fighters. I mean, eye to eye, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a few cases where I came face to face with them. One, one particular guy, there was three that attacked us, and one of those guys, I lo- locked eyes with him three times. 
the first time he looked at me with a professional look. He had the drop on me. You're dead. Just professional. Second, pure hatred. You're an infidel. But third, there was a demonic power. That's all I could describe it, like chilling, that came through him like a locomotive straight at me. That was much bigger than human. And I saw that more than once um, in Iraq. And I saw these guys would never give up. Never give up. So on that day, by that time, you you knew all that. You had experienced all that. And, and so tell us about that opportunity then. So then... So, May, they're killing more and more people. My translator was killed. Um, most of my friends that became close to in Iraq were killed. There's two battalion commanders and brigade commanders I was close to. They all died the same week. One guy died right next to me. I actually carried him and tried to keep him alive, and he died. We were so, just talking about his And I daughter. hate to keep interrupting, but how, how do you make it through? How do you press forward when all your friends are getting killed like that? Well, I think you, you ask, God, do you want me here? Is this right? Every time my friends got killed, they just made me more convinced, you have to finish this. It didn't make me want to run away. I mean, the smell and the death and like I was telling you, you drive your Humvee, there's dead bodies. You can't avoid running over them. The whole thing stinks like dead body. Everything. It's flies everywhere. It's smoking hot. People trying to kill you. But in the midst of that, why am I here? I'm here. I'm your ambassador, Jesus. I'm your ambassador. And every time I saw these people killed and my friends killed, which happened a lot, I think this is why you got to finish it and do our part. So... And I, I, I heard this in seminary once. You can live well with sorrow. You can't live well with shame. And so, Skip, I, I don't cry a lot. Actually, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I cry. But um, that this last year, I've cried almost every day at some point for people I've lost, my friends, or just like kids I was holding that were shot. I, I, I lifted a lady, maybe 19 years old, newlywed, just had a baby. Looked like Miss Iraq, 2017. Beautiful, and this kind of purity about her died in my arms. Couldn't save her. Little kids killed right in front of me. And so um, all that makes me cry. And only one time did it make me do something else. And this is long after I'd seen many bad things happen. But one day, ISIS killed a three-year-old girl that I'd just been playing with. Just right in my sight. And something shifted in me. Um, to basically vengeance, which I'd never really experienced. I've been mad at people before, but never just complete. I will hunt these guys down the rest of my life. And I asked God, is that right? And he didn't answer me. I thought, okay, it must be right. It's justice. But the next morning, I opened my Kindle up and prayed. What should I read? Boom. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And I realized, wow, I was sinning. I had no idea I was sinning. He let me do that for 12 hours. And um, he took it away from me. And whenever I sin, normally my conscience starts to bother me and I feel the weight. I felt no weight. I mean, this would have been the devil's slow destruction of me. And I don't know who's been a veteran here, who's ever fought or just got plain mad at your neighbor. But it's all the same in the end. Um, I never, that would just warp you. I wouldn't go home and get drunk or cry or any of that stuff about what I've seen. I mean, you cry for sorrow, but that's it. But I thought, this is how I'd be warped. Endless search for justice. And um, I'm going to put a pitch in here for C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces. Read it. It's about that. It's about what you think God owes you. So anyways, when I asked him to forgive me of that, he took it away in one second. And I went into battle that day, light and free. I did not hate ISIS. 
This is what Jesus did for me. I didn't expect it. And I can pray for them. Sometimes you still have to fight people that are bent on evil, but you don't have to hate them. And that's the miracle. That's one of the miracles Jesus does for us. So leading up, this is before the rescue. And then as we got into May and and in the end of May, more and more civilians trying to run away from ISIS, more and more getting gunned down. And on June the 1st, we saw there was a massacre of about 150. I saw 70 of the bodies. And in that pile of bodies, across the street, I could see living people. But ISIS controlled this four-lane highway. And they'd blown up every Iraqi army vehicle that tried to cross. They'd killed everybody that tried to help. And they'd slaughtered these civilians. Some people in wheelchairs shot, bent over in their wheelchairs. I saw an old man pushed probably by his daughter, both shot dead. And, but there was living. And we prayed what to do. And that was an experience where I saw the living people among the dead about 6 in the morning. Just when it was getting light. We could not do the rescue till four in the afternoon for lots of reasons. And think about the whole day living with that could be my daughter and I can't help her. And you see her hiding under her dead mom's hijab looking up. And she's in an angle. ISIS can't shoot her. Her back's against that wall. And ISIS didn't have the angle to shoot her until they walked out in the street. So that whole day I just prayed and prayed. And finally people prayed for me and with me from Thailand. Even my pastor Paul prayed. And... God did something in my heart and something in the Celestials and something in the American army and in the, in the Iraqi army where I talked to the Americans. We talked with the Iraqis. The Americans coordinated with the Iraqis. The Americans dropped smoke. The Iraqis gave us one tank with a very brave tank crew. They dropped smoke to blind the... To, to blind the enemy. Enemies all like this. They're all like this. And we need to get the people here. And they're going to slaughter us. Okay. And even if you dropped high explosives, you couldn't kill all these people. There was tunnels and bunkers deep underground. Smoke was the only thing. Not let them see. And the Americans dropped this perfect curtain of smoke. And then we ran behind the tank up to the point where the girl, the kid was, and a couple of men asked for more smoke. They gave us more smoke. And then I thought, I'm probably going to die doing this. But at least my wife and kids know it's to save a little kid. And that'll be sad for them, but it's it's okay. It's it's worthy. How close was your family to this scene you're talking about? My daughter Sahaley was a couple hundred yards or so back behind some buildings in an ambulance that she was helping to drive. So in this world that we live in, pretty safe. Um, and then my wife, uh, Karen and Sahaley and Suzanne and Pete were back at the Cassie Collection Point about a mile back. So they're usually positioned wherever families can come. Using not indirect fire. To help families who To help flee. families. And then in, in Sahaley's case, she's driving wounded Iraqi soldiers. So we didn't have enough drivers. And, you know, it, you don't have to be a special forces. You don't have to be a tough guy to obey God. And it's his power anyways. I remember some special forces guys talking about, how can we get into Syria? I said, just ask God, because there's a 65-year-old lady who can't do one push-up. She's already there, because she followed God. <laughs> so God can do it. That's the whole story of Gideon. Anyways... Um, Sahaley helped us with evacuations, but she wasn't in direct fire. So when we went and got this girl, I came back, and I was terrified still. And I was amazed she's alive. I was alive. We went back to get two more guys. We lost one of them. One of my team members, volunteer named Ephraim, shot through the leg. And the other guy was Sky, Monkey, Ilya, Toe, Zalsang. These are people that Reload Love knows and helps. They were all part of this. And we got that little girl and one man out, turned them over to Karen, in the clinic and then went back and found out there was more people. So the next day we had to do another rescue, but without a tank, without smoke, totally different. 
we were already completely dependent on God. Now we're like, ah, dependent on God, we're going to be those dead people. But we weren't dead. We're still not. And, and so I think, okay, God, how do I live through this? I don't know, except by your power and the power of all y'all who pray, which I know is true. So help me make it worth it. Help me live your life on this earth. Well, when you were, dr- when you were bringing that girl back, you're like screaming as you were coming back. Is that part, what is that? Is that adrenaline? Is that joy? What is it? When I, when I came back with the girl, um, I, I had this sound come out of my voice, which was fear and relief. <laughs> ah, ah, yes, I could not yes, believe yes. we were alive. Wow. And, um, and then later as we're coming back behind the tank, the tank's getting hit. I was trying to get the Humvees to come and I was just yelling with all my might, bring the Humvees, bring the Humvees. And that was a mixture of fear, but also just desperation and command. You got to do this here. Okay, so when you brought her back, what, then, then, then what happened to this little girl since then? So this little girl was um, taken care of first by Karen and an Iraqi family that had just started moving back into the city for about a week. And then the Iraqi general, General Mustafa, I don't know if he's up there or not. There he is. He's an Iraqi general. He fought under Saddam Hussein's army. He gave me a hard time for the first three days last year with him, but we've become real brothers He's a man of love. Look at his face. He's, he's weeping. He's, he's weeping. And she is in his arms. She wouldn't let anybody hold her. And he's crying. And he said, I'll adopt you if we can't find a family member. Well, last week, they found a family member. And Victor helped, actually, because he just went there. He's not there anymore. He went to help this little girl And then the trauma. next picture, this is what, what, how she's doing now. Let's, there she is. Right. It's the same girl. Same girl. So, these are amazing stories, and I know you have so many of them, but you've seen Jesus work in Iraq. I mean, you followed Jesus, that's what you do, and he led you to Iraq. You followed him all the way to Iraq. Yes, I had no desire to go there. There's no surfing, there's no mountain climbing. It's like, <laughs> those are our enemies. I didn't ever wanted to go. But he, he, he definitely led us there. But so, how have you seen the Lord work? How have you seen Jesus do his... Do his thing. Get get the glory out of it. Well, this. it always starts with us, I think. You know, when you pray, rarely does the situation change. Usually we change. But that's the way God, I think, operates most of the time. He's bigger than the situation. So he's not going to... He doesn't... It would be very small. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll make a hole for you in the wall. I'm taking some of your ISIS soldiers and okay. drinking them. <laughs> but he finds us a way to go around this. We're not stuck. I've got to win. I've got to win. No, man. You can go this way. So he changed my heart. Second, um, he took away my vengeance like that. It never came back. I got shot later. We fought ISIS later. They killed more of my friends later. I still don't hate them. I pray for them. I feel sorry they, they wasted their life. Tell us about Muhammad, the uh, driver. Okay. Ma- Muhammad was one of my Humvee drivers, super brave guy. And when he was, we were going in in May, was when ISIS really started to kill um, civilians by the score. There was a family that was running out of this town, the north, northwest corner of Mosul, a place called a neighborhood called um, uh, Musharifa. Four people in the family run out, and the, the mother shot, the father shot, a daughter shot. One daughter's left screaming. We're we're down this little knoll just out of sight of ISIS, and the Iraqi soldier says, "Hey, they're killing civilians now because Iraqi army is here fighting just for their lives, and civilians are running through the cracks, so to speak." And I come up with a Humvee. Our Humvee had already been shot up from the first rescue we did. This is not the 
this rescue. This is back in May. And Muhammad is my driver. We drive down. ISIS starts shooting our vehicle. Then ISIS shoots the father again as I'm picking up and put him in the Humvee and shoots the, the remaining girl who wasn't shot right in the eye. She falls back. The mom and the other girl get evacuated with one Humvee. We put everybody else, the, two, the man, the father, and the daughter who was just shot in our Humvee. Sorry, these are now ISIS. This is us. We try to drive this way, which is safe, but by now they've shot our transmission out. Our engine's gone. The vehicle doesn't work. We just roll down into here. And ISIS just starts hammering us. Muhammad is a Christian. He's my driver. He became a believer one month before, right? The day before Easter. Because he said, I was trying to be a Muslim, and I just did what you said. I asked Jesus into my heart, and he came in my heart. <laughs> and, but he, didn't do, he did not do it with me. He did it on his own. Wow. And I didn't even know what to say. So it, it was a miracle. And so he's a one-month-old Christian. He drives down, and he can't move now. And he goes, I'm going to get out and get another Humvee so we can get these wounded out. I said, no, don't get out of this Humvee. Bullets are just chipping away at our vehicle. And... Before I can say anything, he jumps out, he runs, they shoot at him, they miss, he gets another Humvee, brings a second Humvee right here where he thinks it's safe. We can kind of crawl between the Humvees and move everybody from this to this one because ISIS is here. But we don't know ISIS has maneuvered here. So when, when my medic jumps out of the Humvee, he's shot three times. But all the bullets hit his equipment. Don't hit him. They graze him, but they don't get in his body. My medic slowly, he's from, from Burma, as all my medics are, dives back in the Humvee, but my translator, Shaheen, doesn't get in quick enough, and he gets shot through the stomach, and he falls down. Muhammad runs from the Humvee he just drove up to, to rescue Shaheen. Muhammad's shot eight times. One, two, three, four, right here. And then five, six, seven, eight. It, then in 16, five, five, six. Eight rounds. Doesn't fall down. I don't know how. Drag Shaheen into the Humvee. They drive to the Kaji collection point, passes out. They're evac'd. Ten days later, Shaheen, my translator, dies in the hospital. And I call Muhammad. How are you doing, man? And he said, I'm happy. I said, how are you happy in the hospital? Shot. He says, Jesus in my heart. Oh. And you should know, he said, that when I was shot, my sister had a, a dream or a vision that a man in white who was shining came to her holding me saying, "It's your brother's going to be okay. I have him. And we were still stuck and praying. And the Iraqis sent a tank down. General Mustafa, the guy who had a picture, he didn't even know what was happening. He's, he's already lost four tracked vehicles and a tank already. These guys are dying all around. We're just one piece in this whole thing. And he finally figures out we're going to die. As soon as they get an RPG on us, we're going to be blown up. He, he sends a tank down. That tank parks next to us, just blasts ISIS, and we get pulled out. That was 10 in the morning of the first day of that attack, May the 4th. We just kept going. We didn't stop until pretty much June the 10th when we came back to America. But um, from that, this is some of the things I see Jesus doing. And then was General Mustafa, the man who sent the tank to get us out, and the guy in the picture with the little girl, the day I left Iraq, he said, you need to go back to America to tell people about us. Tell them that we love Americans. Please love us. We, we, want, we need to do this together. And second, thank you for showing us what it means to follow Jesus. Wow. And then the medical officer came to me, Mustafa's medical man, hugged me and said, I want to pray for you. You always pray for us. Because I pray every day there with him. Hmm. And he prayed in English and he prayed in Jesus' name. And he said, are you surprised I prayed in Jesus' name? I said, yeah. He said, I love the sound of that name when I say it. 
So when I got ready to come back to America, I didn't want to come because I thought, how can I leave my family, my Iraqi family? But a good friend of mine, Todd Pierce, um, Riding High Ministries, cowboy guy, he said, Dave, don't be mission-focused, be kingdom-focused. The work God has begun with the Iraqis, he will continue his own way. Whether or not you're involved in it, that's not your business. You just do what God tells you. Dave, I'm going to ask my wife, Lenny, to come out uh, right now and join us. Um, we've partnered with you for a few years, and, yes. and we're really grateful for the partnership, grateful to be a part of what you do. And one of the things we work with, an organization called Reload Love, which is part of our church, part of the mission arm of our church, but it helps babies or children specifically impacted by terror. And um, you first went over to Burma and then Iraq. Yeah, first of all, what is the nickname you guys gave me? Cathay uh, Lasaw. Which means, in perfect translation, is the very special, wonderful horse, which is the closest thing they could have to Rainbow Unicorn. <laughs> and why did you give me that name? Because you act like one. You look like one. <laughs> Partially, too, he said. It's because they're mythical and they can get places they shouldn't be. Right. And they're very nice. Aww. But they got a big horn. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is uh, we started building playgrounds together. What did you think when we decided to do that? And tell us the impact you think they've had. Well, normally I think that idea of a playground in a war zone would be alien. Um, and it even was to some of my staff. The, the cuddly, sweet people on my staff I'm not one of those ones. But I thought from the beginning, how awesome. Because this is asymmetrical warfare. Asymmetrical warfare being, you know, it's not the same. So whatever the devil, the, the devil comes to seek and, and destroy and wreck and kill. And Jesus comes to give life and life abundantly. And it's not like wait till the war's over or let's wait until this. No, no, no. All the time. And... On this rock, Jesus said, I build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. So these playgrounds are like, you know, a divisional element going forward. And not only are they a symbol of God's love and the church's care for people around the world, they are very practical. And yes. first they look beautiful. They're every color in a, in a very brown and gray yes. landscape. And the kids love it. Oh. And like I, I tell the story all the time, and this, I saw this little girl swinging and her hair flying in the air, giggling and in ecstasy, I thought her little body's never been free to move like that. Yeah, they don't have swings and playgrounds in the Middle East. Right. I mean, this is a first experience for most of these kids. Right, and also boys and girls. That's yes. a bunch, mostly a bunch of, well, there's girls in the back. There's girls up there. Everybody played. There was no rules. They have no, this is no category for rules for this thing. Yeah. So everybody can play in the playground. Well, the other thing is I think one of the first ones we built in Mirki, which is where that um, monastery yes. was where Saheli sang the song. Yep. And, um, I think someone shot a rocket real close. You sent me a picture. Well, you know, ISIS got really mad. They hate the monastery. They hate the playground. They hate anything. They shot rockets. They missed everything. Yes. Thank God. But the people said, um, thank you. Thank Reload Love. Thank America. Thank the church. Of course, these were Christians, the first one we built. But the second one we built with y'all was in, in, well, Sinjar, we built a few with you. Yes. But the most recent, we built two recent ones, were in completely Muslim areas. Yes. Faisalia and Shahrazad. And they all said, thank you. We know God cares for us. 
And those planes are mobbed. In fact, we already got to repair them. Yeah. Like, they're just all over them. I'm not kidding you. The playgrounds you said, you described them as like Dr. Seuss land. Yeah. That the kids are just everywhere coming off of it. So anyway, we first went to Burma and um, Dave has been training us in the things of missionary work for reaching kids impacted by terror. And my husband, the second time we went to Burma, said, Lenny, it's time to pivot to the Middle East. And that was in 2014. And I got to the jungle. And the first thing I said, Dave, we're going to pivot to the Middle East, to Iraq. And you go, I want to go to Iraq. And so um, he invited me to a tribal meeting with Monkey and Ilya, and they were all talking about, should we go to Iraq? And it was really cool because I got to say, yes, I think we should, that God works the way Skip has explained to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And I said, our Jerusalem was um, Albuquerque, and then Judea might have been New Mexico, Samaria, the United States. And I go, right now I'm in Burma, the uttermost parts of the world. Why would God not take the animals, my ethnic friends, my brown brothers, because this is your Jerusalem, right, in Burma, and you've covered the other tribes, Judea, and why wouldn't he send you to the othermost parts of the world? I vote yes. Not that my vote mattered, because you guys. But so we got to go to Iraq, and Skip landed with you the same week in February. Of... We met each other almost the first day I was there. Yeah. So I had adult supervision from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I just wanted to say one last thing, that um, we want to pivot to Syria. You've been a couple times in Syria, Reload Love, and uh, Furry Burma Rangers would like to get into Syria and do some of the good work there. So that's what the table's for. We're going to love jump into Syria. We're praying, and so if you would like to help fund us to move to another place to help more kids... And you know that um, Assad shoots sarin gas at his children, so it would be a privilege to help those kids. Thank you. We're, yes. We'll go with you. So that's out in the courtyard. Okay, great. It's like, this is a trick question? No, not a trick <laughs> question. Um, Dave, thank you for coming. Thanks for bringing your family. Thanks thank for coming you. all the way across the world to be here with Thanks. us. We love you. Would you close us in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you. You use all of us from all over the world to do your will yes. in different ways. I ask, Lord, uh, there may be some people here that wonder, what am I supposed to do right now? Lord, I know that as each of us give up everything and put it on your altar, you'll organize, burn away what we don't need to do and show us what we need to do. And so, Lord, uh, we need to be clean to do those things. So I ask you, please... Forgive us our sins, convict us of them, get rid of them, give us your power, help us be bold and love each other. And all this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for joining us for this interview with Skip Heitzig and Dave Eubank. If this message impacted you, we'd love to know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And just a reminder, you can give financially to this work at calvaryabq.org. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Albuquerque.